So we're continuing and almost finishing the chapter, we will be finishing the chapter uh, 28, Kapila's instructions on the execution of devotional service. And uh, we are on text 30, we're on text 40? What's that? Oh, you don't remember, okay. Um, I know we had done 34, and then we read a few more, and then time ran out. Um, so let's start with uh, 36. Thus situated in the highest transcendental stage, the mind ceases all material reactions and becomes situated in its own glory, transcendental to all material conceptions of happiness and distress. At that time, the yogi realizes the truth of his relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He discovers that pleasure and pain, as well as their interactions, which he attributed to his own self, are actually due to the false ego, which is a product of ignorance. Okay, we'll continue. Because he has achieved his real identity, the perfectly realized soul has no conception of how the material body is moving or acting, just as an intoxicated person cannot understand whether or not he has clothing on his body. Hmm. So it's, it, this reminds, this is reminiscent of that verse in the Gita, right, that says that the... Uh, that when we um, are in this state of consciousness, that one perceives the body doing things, right? It's, it's walking, it's evacuating, it's doing this, it's doing that. He sees, the, the self-realized person sees that the soul is really, in one sense, doing nothing. The body is just interacting with the three modes of material nature. And he or she is aloof from that. So it's quite a... Uh, interesting consciousness <laughs> to have um, and, the, and as we're going to learn in the next chapter we don't really we don't really have to um, endeavor much separately for that as devotees right that by chanting Krishna's name and hearing about Krishna's pastimes um, Krishna's mercy bestows upon us and therefore um, uh, what's that verse Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita, Janayat Yasu Vairagyam Gyanachayat Ahaitu. What is it? Jan Ahaitukam. So Ahaitukam, we're going to talk about Ahaitukam later. Ahaitukam means causeless, right? That's how Prabhupada translates it. Um, and this verse is saying that by Vasudeva Bhagavati, Bhakti Yoga Prayojita, by performing Bhakti to Krishna, then causelessly, without causes well we're gonna uh, I don't want to give away all the secrets to later but causelessly um, has some different connotations but part of it is that we don't endeavor for it right because when you endeavor for something you think that there's a cause and there's an effect right I try for this and I get that result right but the devotee who's just focusing on bhakti to Krishna then um, Janiyat yasu vairagyam gyanam, vairagya renunciation, 
and gan, knowledge that we're not this body, gan, the kind of realization we're hearing about in this verse, a haitukam, it comes causelessly. It's not, it's not our focus. It's not, what we're, it's not why we're performing bhakti. We're not performing bhakti so that we can get knowledge and renunciation. They're just byproducts um, and they're causeless in the sense we're not trying to cause them to happen. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. So another idea of causeless, of course, is, well, we'll get to that, is the, most of the time you see the word causeless in Srila Prabhupada's writings. What's the next word? Correct, yes. So that's connected and at the same time even deeper. We'll talk about that later. Okay, so we'll continue. 38, the body of such a liberated yogi. So remember this is um, a person who, a yogi, um, who's becoming a devotee, you could say. Um, along with the senses is taken charge of by the Supreme Personality of Godhead and its functions, and it functions until its destined activities are finished. The liberated devotee, so he has see the connection, yogi, devotee, being awake to his constitutional position and thus situated in samadhi, the highest perfectional stage of yogi, uh, yoga, does not accept the byproducts of the material body as his own. Thus he considers his bodily activities to be like the activities of a body in a dream. And so we're, we're familiar with a verse that talks about uh, that first part that along with the senses is taking charge of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Rishikena, Rishikesha, Sevanam Bhaktir Uchate. That one, um, uh, we engage our senses in the owner of the senses, the Lord. And then in one sense you could say he controls the senses in that sense. So continuing, because of great affection for family and wealth, one accepts a son and some money as his own. And due to affection for the material body, one thinks that it is his. But actually, as one can understand that his family and wealth are different from him, the liberated soul can understand that he and his body are not the same. Hmm. So this is a, it's a challenging consciousness to have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because we're surrounded by um, everything that's trying to convince us otherwise. Right? Everything and everyone. I was at the airport yesterday, I flew from Los Angeles, and uh, watching the TV monitor in the airport. And uh, you know, pretty much all the, all the advertisements are just somehow or other trying to attract one of our senses or more than one of our senses. Especially the tongue, so much of advertising about food. And, and we sing that, that song, right? Sharira avijajal jatendriya, that of all the senses, the tongue is the most voracious and uncontrollable. And when you think about it, you know, we have to eat so regularly, right? Many of us three times a day, something that you do so often. So advertising just try to bombard you with trying to gratify the tongue. Right? And, and all, there's just such a bombardment where you sit next to somebody in the, in the uh, air, in airplane and, you know, 
pretty much everything they're talking about is somehow like connected in this verse. You know, to family, to home, to possessions, to you know, anxieties in this world. So it's not easy to have this kind of self-realized uh, view all the time. Right? And then act in this world practically. The blazing fire is different from the flames, from the sparks and from the smoke, although all are intimately connected because they are born from the same blazing wood. The Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is known as Param Brahma, is the seer. He is different from the jiva soul, or the individual living entity, who is combined with the senses, the five elements, and consciousness. The yogi should see the same soul in all manifestations, for all that exists is a manifestation of the different energies of the Supreme. In this way, the devotee should see all living entities without distinction. This, that is the realization of the Supreme Soul. We'll hear more about that in the next chapter. As fire is exhibited in different forms of wood, so under different conditions of the modes of material nature, <clears throat> the pure spirit soul manifests itself in different bodies. Right? So, you know, everyone who uh, lives out in the country and chops their own wood for heating their house. Uh, I used to visit our community in Sharanagati in British Columbia. And, uh, that's how you warm your house. So anyone who lives in that way knows which wood burns well and which wood doesn't and what's wet wood that's not going to burn and what's really dry and it's going to be good. Right? So, that, so it, it's not that all wood burns at, a different, at the same pace. Right? We all have that knowledge. Right? Just like in India, we often use, um, at least in Vrindavan, uh, eucalyptus wood. And it burns very quickly. It, you know, we, had, we actually had a, a, a wood stove in our uh, bungalow in uh, Vrindavan. And um, they, we would, you would buy wood and they'd bring it to you. We, in the winter, we'd heat the house that way. And the, you know, the wood just was gone. <laughs> so similarly, we are spirit souls, but we have uh, different bodies and different consciousness in the same way that different qualities of wood burn at a different pace. And, I, and is this the last verse? Yeah. Um, Thus the yogi can be in, in the self-realized position after conquering the insurmountable spell of maya, who presents herself as both the cause and effect of this material manifestation, and is therefore very difficult to understand. So, um, so many things in this world, it's really helpful to put a name to them. Right? You ever have that experience that you have some kind of uh, intuitive understanding about something and then you read, you read somewhere that, oh, that, ha that, that consciousness or that thought has a name to it. And then you read on Wikipedia or whatever that, you know, and, and it really helps us to understand something. Um, what's, what would be, anyone have a good example of that? Pardon me? Deja vu. Uh, yeah, okay, yes, that's right. You know, you walk around someplace, and, and, and if you're young and you haven't heard that word, you think, you know, gosh, I've been here before, I've done this before, and then you say, oh, that's deja vu. Oh, then you have a name for it, deja vu. Very good, good example. Um, so similarly with Maya, right? 
We don't, we, we may have some, you know, someone who becomes a little thoughtful may think, you know, gosh, you know, what is this really, what is this world meant for? What am I meant for? Why is there so much uh, focus on the here and now when we all have to die? You know, and you might think like that, and then you hear uh, the, the Shastra, right? And you hear the, that this is Maya. This is the illusory energy. This is what, that which is not. And you oh. And I think sometimes in our temples, we, when I first joined, we spoke a lot about Maya. <laughs> now you don't hear it as much. You're more about Bhakti. And but you know, it was really drummed into our head. That's Maya, Prabhu. That's Maya. That's Maya. But it, it is good to, um, uh, what does the Bhagavatam say? To uh, distinguish uh, Truth from illusion for the benefit of all. The Bhagavatam does that. It distinguishes reality from illusion, from maya. So it's good for us to be able to, uh, you know, at least in the back of our consciousness as we're talking to somebody and they're saying, yes, well, I really, really, really want that Mercedes Benz. And, you know, and in our mind we say, this person's in maya. Because <laughs> you know? they're thinking, that's going to make them happy. Mm. And we all know that's not uh, the case. <laughs> um, I had a person pick me up the other day, who, I mean, who has a, bought a used Mercedes-Benz. And he was telling me, he said, I'm so happy I didn't buy a new one because I'd be in so much anxiety all the time when I park it and afraid that somebody's going to scratch it or something. <laughs> Less anxiety because it's used. Um, but Maya is there, Maya, and Maya captures us so many times during the day. So it's good to, you know, be just like there's that uh, <clears throat> continuum of, it's kind of a similar point, unconscious incompetent, right? You don't know what you don't know, right? So you could be like that. So I, I could say that was myself. My first 17 years of my life, I just walking around thinking, you know, I was just unconscious that I was incompetent in devotional service. I didn't even know what devotional service was, right? Then uh, I actually met a devotee and I started hearing about Krishna and I became conscious that I was incompetent, that I was not a devotee. And the next step is to be conscious competent, right? You become, you become conscious. And you really start practicing it. And then, the, uh, the, at least in this continuum, they say the highest is unconscious competent, right? So you don't even think, you're just naturally, ultimately, you're spontaneously a devotee. And you practice that spontaneity. Of course, that could also be niyamagraha, where you become unconscious competent, where you just go through the rituals without remembering the purpose behind them. That's, we're going to talk about that also. Okay, so let's move on to text, uh, chapter 29. Uh, this chapter talks about devotional service and devotional service also when it's affected by the modes of material nature and then also talks a lot about the time factor. We're not going to get to the time factor today. Okay, but we're on chapter 29. So Devahuti inquired. So who's Devahuti? Who's her father? Swayambhu. Swayambhu of So, you know, she comes from a pretty good family. And who's her husband? Karmoon. And who's her son? Yeah. And is she a good devotee? Eh, not bad. <laughs> She's a great devotee. Devahuti inquired, My dear Lord, you have already very scientifically described the symptoms of the total material nature and the characteristics of the spirit according to the Sankhya system of philosophy. 
Now I shall request you to explain the path of devotional service. Um, and I'll just read this one sentence, but we're going to hear about this next week, all about the time factor. But Prabhupada just gives a little coming attractions. Uh, the purpose of elaborately describing the influence of time is to detach the conditioned soul from his material activities, which are considered to be simply a waste of time. So this is, we're going to, it'll be really good to hear about the time factor because the time factor is this incredible energy of the Lord that's always working on us in the material world. And um, <laughs> what did somebody say to me the other day? They said, growing old is like, I hope you don't mind this example, <laughs> is like uh, a roll of toilet paper that when you get to the end, things seem to go faster. <laughs> but anyway, sorry about that. But uh, um, the time factor is such that even when we're, as we get old, we still kind of like, well, we lament that we're not young anymore. Right? We, we look at some young kids running outside and jumping around and we think, oh, if I could only, I remember when I was like, right. Um, and, but the time, march, the time factor marches on. And so when we hear about the time factor and we think about it in our own lives, um, it can give us some sobriety. Right? We can be sober that uh, I was once young and the time seemed to have just passed by so quickly. I can remember when I was 21 or whatever. You know? um, and then we remember, then we know that all the people that we kind of heard about when we were younger are either very old or no longer with us, right? Um, and then we might remember that we also are going to die. And that in itself is not like a necessarily a great spiritual thing because one could get in a lot of anxiety about that. But then one, if one understands the power of bhakti, then one could say, okay, so it's a really good time to take shelter of Krishna and use the remainder of this life, however long it is, in Krishna's service. Like Katvanga Maharaj, right? He got this, he, he got this benediction. What, and what benediction did he choose? Do you know, remember Katvanga Maharaj? Katvanga Maharaj, what was the benediction he finally asked for? He had any benediction? Exactly, how much longer do I have to live? So, you know, they got out their computer and said, not very long, Maharaj. You're going to die very soon. So he immediately left the heavenly planets, came to earth, and performed devotional service. <laughs> so that was an interesting answer. You know, like how much time? Yeah. <clears throat> Bhakti yoga, devotional service, is, the, is an interesting point. Let's discuss this point. Oh, any questions on the time factor or comments before we move on? All right. So there was a song. What was it? Steve Miller Band, time keeps on slipping, slipping into the future. Right? It's true. And you can't stop it. Okay, so now we're shifting gears. We're talking about sentimentality and philosophy and how they apply to practicing bhakti. Okay? So bhakti yoga, devotional service, is the basic principle, listen to this, of all systems of philosophy. 
All philosophy which does not aim for devotional service to the Lord is considered merely mental speculation. But of course, bhakti yoga is with no philosophical basis is more or less sentiment. There are two classes of men. Some consider themselves intellectually advanced and simply speculate and meditate. And others are sentimental and have no philosophical basis for their propositions. So um, there's that famous statement in the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita. I mean, famous amongst devotees that it was such a nice sentence that Prabhupada said. He said, religion without philosophy is sentiment or sometimes fanaticism while philosophy without religion is mental speculation. So we, we, we want this, so we do study Gyan, like, we, like the last few chapters, we do study the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, the difference between the body and the soul, understanding the time factor and all those things, but we also want to connect that to Krishna. So okay, yes the time, yes not this body, yes this body is temporary, that's Gyan, right? Now let me apply that to bhakti by saying, okay, so in that case, let me use this bhakti in Krishna, this bhakti, this body in Krishna's service and use whatever time I have in this life to serve Krishna. So there's connecting Gyan to uh, devotional service. <clears throat> Prabhupada also liked this. I think it's a, maybe someone from India might remember where the, the source of this is, but Prabhupada used to like to quote this that have the courage of an Englishman and the compassion of a Bengali mother. Right. So again, that kind of balance. It's not exactly the same point, but it's that idea of, uh, of balance in, 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 in our lives. And so we do want to be philosophical, but our, our philosophy should be um, coded with devotion. I was just hearing yesterday Maybe you've had this experience. Because sometimes when you read Krishna's pastimes, like in the 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, um, they, can see, they can seem, I don't know what the right word would be, but like a simple, right? You know what I mean? You know, Krishna's, he, you know, he's stealing, um, they're, you know, uh, who's gonna, they're exchanging prasadam at lunch, and and somebody is massaging Krishna's feet and, you know, and he's taking a nap and it just seems uh, so innocent and simple. Um, and the speaker was saying that, but that, that, may be, that may seem that, but they're also extremely deep and extremely profound like that. So we don't want to just read on the superficial level, but try to understand all the incredible, this is so incredible, this is the Supreme Lord and he's, you know, fighting over lunch <laughs> or whatever, you know, or, 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 you know, or stealing the clothes of the gopis or this or that, right? Um, it's a very deep pastime, actually. It's not just simple things. So we want to combine um, in this term philosophy and religion. And that's why uh, the word, Srila Prabhupada's name, Bhakti Vedanta. So the bhakti and the Vedanta is the philosophy. Right. Some thoughts on this? Um, microphone's right behind you. So as you were mentioning about the pastimes of Krishna being simple yet very deep, uh, 
I think that's, that's the reason why the nine cantos of Srimad Bhagavatam are there to just help us prepare our consciousness to understand how great God is and then comes to the intimate pastimes that he performs in Vrindavan which seems full of love, it appears simple but we understand the gravity and the deepness of uh, the depth of that interaction. Otherwise you can just, oh yeah, they are eating food and then they are playing with each other and climbing right. on each other's shoulders and move on, just skim the surface. Mm-hmm. Bhagavatam prepares us through the nine cantos to really appreciate what the tenth canto is about. Yes. And also therefore Prabhupada wrote the Krishna book in such a way that he kept reminding us as we were hearing Krishna's pastimes in the tenth canto that Krishna was the Supreme Lord. Because he said he wrote that because he didn't know if he would live long enough to translate the tenth canto. And so he wrote that when devotees were very new and Krishna consciousness in the West was very new. And so he wrote it in such a way that he would always say, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, jumped on the back of his friends, you know, whatever. Would always be reminding us of Krishna's position. Yeah. Other thoughts on this? Okay, so then, um, oh, um, well, at the last paragraph, Sankhya philosophy is the analytical study of all existence. So that's a philosophical study. One has to understand everything by examining its nature and characteristics. That, this is called acquirement of knowledge. But one should not simply acquire knowledge without reaching the goal of life, or the basic principle for acquiring knowledge, bhakti yoga. If we give up bhakti yoga and simply busy ourselves with the analytical study of the nature of things as they are, then the result will be practically nil. So one might learn about the stars in the sky and study them. And, you know, this is this and this is that and whatever. Um, But then one should also say, hmm, how did they get there? Why aren't they colliding with each other? You know, how come things seem to go, you know, what's the cause behind them? So that should be the next step instead of just getting into... Right, because who was telling, was it someone in this class? You know, that we can become very, very, um, what's the word, focused on some, like for example, you know, there are people who might spend their whole life studying ants, right, or studying birds, or, or whatever, studying planet, you know, whatever, um, and not taking the time to, you know, see the forest from the trees. <laughs> and say, hmm, how did this ant come about, right? Yeah. Devahuti continued, my dear Lord, please also describe in detail, both for me and for the people in general, the continual process of birth and death. For by hearing of such calamities, we may become detached from the activities of this material world. So that's definitely true, right? We get, we, we just, um, Again, this is gyan, right? This is the this is knowledge of what this world is like, but it can again lead to bhakti, because uh, it can lead to some detachment, you know, the, the continu- continual process of birth and death, and by hearing these calamities that this world is temporary, it actually is not really that fun to just know that without knowing Krishna, right? If you just think, oh, this world is temporary, 
what you know what is the care the things that concern me a year ago you know are, are not even in my memory anymore and the things that are concerning me now a year from now aren't going to care and so what's the purpose of life you can get really bummed out and become even what's it nihilistic um, but then when you say oh but there's Krishna or as a Christians would say there's a the good news right there's this good news and then all that gets in Put, gets put into perspective. All that knowledge, all that again, I'm not this body, I'm a spirit soul. The soul can't be burnt by fire, withered by the wind, moistened by water. Um, this world is temporary, it's full of misery. All that sort of stuff get, gets, um, it's properly placed when it's connected with Krishna. What's that, Prabhu? Yes, very good. Yes, Prabhupada's simple example. There's so many zeros. And Krishna is the one. So if you have six zeros, useless. You put one in front, it's a million. Very good. Okay, continuing. Text four. Please describe, oh, did we do, we did three, right? Please describe eternal time, which is a representative of your form and by whose influence people in general engage in the performance of pious activities. My dear Lord, you are just like the sun, for you illuminate the darkness of the conditioned life of the living entities. Because their eyes of knowledge are not open, they are sleeping eternally in that darkness without your shelter. And therefore they are falsely engaged by the actions and reactions of their material activities, and they appear to be very fatigued. And then text six. So Maitreya is... so. Why does it say Sri Maitreya? Because he's talking to Vidura. He's talking to Vidura about the conversation between Devahuti and Kapila. Yeah, so there's, you see that a lot. There's a conversation within a conversation. And there's also a conversation within uh, Maitreya talking to Vidura. It's Pariksit Maharaj and Sukadeva Goswami. It could even be Sutta Goswami first. Yeah, Sutta Goswami Namasharanya, then Priksha and Sutta. So, conversation within a conversation within a conversation. So, this is Param Pra. <laughs> o best among the Kurus, the great sage Kapila, moved by great compassion and pleased by the words of his glorious mother, spoke as follows. And just one sentence there. Since he per is perpetually compassionate towards them, if some of his devotees also become compassionate towards them, he is very pleased with the devotees. So this is just uh, one of the basic principles of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. To um, you deliver the good news, <laughs> to tell other people about Krishna. And the motivation behind that, of course part of the motivation is to please the previous acharyas and please Srila Prabhupada. And the other part, which is very, very important, is to have compassion. That here's a person who doesn't have knowledge, and I don't necessarily want to ram it down their throat, but I do want to give them the opportunity to hear about Krishna. That's their choice. If they choose to read the book or to stay with the Harinam party and hear the chanting or whatever, that's their choice, or to come to the temple. But let me at least give them the opportunity. If they don't have the opportunity, then they don't have the choice. Opportunity means giving people choice, right? So, um, 
So this is the mood of a devotee. And, it's, and again, I think it's hard for us when we're, let's say, going to work and things like that. And you see somebody and it's hard to say, oh, this person's spirit, soul, part and parcel of Krishna. You know, um, the, the, the best way, I think, is probably sometimes is distributing prasadam to co-workers and things like that. And you can just say, okay, well, they're taking prasadam. This is going to benefit them eternally. How nice. Because for years, I spent about 12 years um, distributing books and going out one way or another, uh, trying to tell other people about Krishna. And that was, although there was the challenges, especially the weather, and you know, because we would go out in, just like the postman, rain, sleet, or snow. Nothing stops the postman from doing his duty. So the same thing, rain, sleet, or snow, nothing, or intense heat, nothing stops the St. Kirtan devotee from <laughs> going out. And um, because we were unmarried at the time and no, no attachments, just focusing on hearing the Bhagavatam, chanting Hare Krishna, and giving Krishna consciousness to others, it was really, in some ways, a lot easier as we were approaching people to think, this is a spirit soul, part and parcel of Krishna. Let me give them a chance. This is a spirit soul, part and parcel. This is spirit And all day long, being in that consciousness. What I find now, in a work setting, um, and not wearing, you know, Dodi, Kurta, Tilak, Sika, the whole, you know, which is kind of like, kind of clear about who you are and who you aren't. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit more of a challenge. But this is very important uh, um, consciousness to adopt as a devotee, especially in the line of Srila Prabhupada, to have compassion for those who have not yet had the opportunity to hear about Krishna. Gurudas? Oh. I think Krishna. Um, we can have even more compassion if we uh, present that opportunity in a way that they'll pursue. Um, it's one thing, I'm just talking about my backwards attitudes towards service, but uh, it's one thing just to give someone a book and say, you know, Hare Krishna, and they're making advancement by touching the book, but if, if you know, in the back of your mind you think, oh, they're just going to put it on their shelf, or, you know, um, it, it's a struggle to think how to present the uh, opportunity of Krishna consciousness in such a way that they can you know, that yes. they will actually go ahead and, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah, I, I was going to read something about that a little later, but uh, the, the, the translation, this is from the Chaitanya Charitamrita, and the verse was about renunciation, right? And then Srila Prabhupada writes that to broadcast Krishna consciousness, one has to learn the possibility of renunciation in terms of country, time, and candidate, like you were saying, how, to, how it would relate to people. He said, a candidate for Krishna consciousness in the Western countries should be taught about the renunciation of material existence, but one would teach candidates from a country like India in a different way. So, you know, different shlokas for different folks, right? Um, and so, I, I, so that's, you know, that's the idea of uh, applying it to, uh, just like when I was preaching in China, different, again, and uh, in different parts of the world, it's, or even, even some places 
uh, in America or different age groups will be different also, right? You might, someone who's married and has two kids, you might um, emphasize certain parts of Krishna consciousness different than someone who's, you know, 21 and has no attachments whatsoever, you know, like that. So Krishna, the principles remain the same, but the details can be adjusted. And I think as we mentioned before, every faith-based organization struggles with this. How to not lose tradition while at the same time being relevant. So Prabhupada explained it in terms of principles and details. Maintain the principles, but you can adjust the details. So I think as I said before, like in Christianity, one of the things was, can you use a guitar or Western musical instruments in a service? At some time, in some, or in the, in the Catholic Church, the big thing was Vatican II, which was in the mid '60s. Is that right? Um, where everything previously, everything had to be in Latin, all the uh, all the services, and so then they said you can adjust it and have the services in the local language. That was a big change, and to this day, some people think you know it was Maya. There you go, the word Maya, right? And others think it saved the church from being irrelevant because not everyone's going to learn Latin. I studied Latin in school, and I can't remember any of it. <laughs> but anyway. Um, so so this, is, this is important. Yes, uh, give, give a microphone to... How you can introduce uh, Krishna consciousness at work? It's on, I think. Just hold it like uh, you were doing karaoke. Uh, yeah. How you can introduce the Krishna consciousness at the workplace? Like when we are in the office, you know, the patients come to us, and then, you know, uh, we say, you know, God is in charge of everything, uh, but uh, you cannot specify which God, because uh, you know, even if the Bible is on the table. Uh, you know, some patients would have an objection, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, what religion to follow. Right. So how do you do it by introducing <laughs> Krishna consciousness at well, workplace? It's also different in different fields, like you're in the medical field. Um, I've spoken to Hitesh Patel about that. You know Hitesh? Yes. yes. So one thing that he does is he encourages almost all of his patients to adopt a plant-based diet. And, and, you know, we may say, well, that's not directly Krishna conscious, but um, one time Prabhupada told Peter Burwash, who was Peter, um, at the time that Prabhupada spoke to him, uh, Peter was a ranked uh, tennis professional. In other words, he was in the top, whatever it was, 250, you know. He was a tennis professional. Um, and, and then he was also doing business. He was also in the business field. And actually, he, today, he, he's been ill lately, but he... Um, at one time, at least, he owned the, the biggest uh, tennis teaching um, organization in the world. He was like in all the big hotels that you know, people would stay there for a week and he'd have professionals teaching the tennis. So Srila Prabhupada said that, you know, please, you know, in your position, he was a businessman, um, encourage uh, vegetarianism. So he actually became a motivational speaker and traveled around the world giving seminars on vegetarianism based on Srila Prabhupada's uh, instructions. So that's one way that I know Hitesh does that. And, and it's pretty much, especially in cardiology, right? It's almost like a, it's not unusual, right? To tell someone to 
to either eat less meat or don't eat red meat or to be a plant, you know, even uh, the ex-president Clinton is a, has a plant-based diet, right? So it's, it's in vogue. Um, I was just in California, like, it seemed like half of the restaurants were vegan. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's an exaggeration, but there was, it's a, you know, of course, California, like that. Um, the other thing I do a lot is I distribute. I, I buy cookies from the uh, bake sale, and then we have a staff meeting every Monday, and I place them in the middle of the uh, table, and I went, and one eats the, uh, takes the prashadam. So yes, it's probably hard um, for most of our patients to say like, uh, okay, so listen, the best thing for you is if you chant one round of Hare Krishna every day. You know, if you, you know that's the best thing for your heart. <laughs> Even though we know that, right? So yeah, we, but, but the point is that, you know, kind of like where there's a will, there's a way. So we can figure out something. Like, and it would be good, you know, we actually have a, um, uh, Romapad Maharaj has organized a, uh, a sangha. It's, it's usually sometime in the summer of, of devotee doctors. And it's usually held in uh, Gita Nagari. And we have quite discussed things like this, you know, and, and just how to be in good consciousness when you're seeing patients and, and, and all that. Um, my field, it's a little easier in one sense. Uh, uh, my, my, I'm in conflict resolution, so people come to me with their problems all day long. Uh, not health ones, but uh, more up here than here. Um, but still, I don't usually tell them to chant Hare Krishna. But I do tell them, I, I often, like when I'm giving a seminar, I'll always say, uh, I'll tell a little bit about myself. I'll say, you know, I'm from New York, this, that. And I said I was a monk for 12 years. And then I moved to India, and I lived there for 21 years, uh, following the Krishna tradition, that's what I say. So they get to hear the word Krishna. Um, and then often people will come up to me after, what kind of monk were you? And, you know, uh, yeah, being a monk's kind of cool right now. Um, uh, Dev Amrita Maharaj is doing a tour of universities in America, and I think the, I don't know what exactly the advertisement is, but something about, you know, come see a modern day monk. And he just got two big write-ups at University of Pennsylvania, you know, Ivy League school. So does that make sense at all? Yeah. yeah. But prashadam is, you know, because our shastras say that if someone tastes, takes prashadam, uh, it's t it, they, they begin their, their path of bhakti, because prashadam is Krishna. So if we could find, even, even if there can be like, um, I guess maybe in, in, in uh, cardiologists, you'd have to have uh, like a, a healthy sweets. But even if you have like, you know, candy there. Uh, Srila Prabhupada used, authorized us to offer lollipops to the Lord. And then to, we do this on singers and then distribute them. And people are taking prasadam. So they, 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 un, they unwrap one of the lollipops, put a tulsi leaf on it. <laughs> and uh, so even things like that, even to have some candy that we offer to Krishna. But I think a big part of it is just to be exemplary in our behavior. And I find especially, it's maybe different with a, a, a patient you only see periodically, but um, being exemplary in our behavior, people may come up to us sometimes and say, you know, you seem different than other people. What, what, what energizes you? I saw that with Hitesh, um, so he's a cardiologist. Uh, and he practices in Frederick, Maryland, for those of you who don't know Hitesh. 
So he uh, was the one who donated for our two new cows, or at least one of the cows, I'm not, one or both of the cows. So, the, um, so we got it from this one farm up near Frederick, and the person who owns the farm and was delivering the cows was one of Hitesh's patients, <laughs> just by chance. <laughs> but I could see the person got out of the car, gave him a big hug, you know, it wasn't just, you know, a doctor, pay, you know, he, um, yeah, and I guess he, now he really knows the connection because he saw the devotees in their tea lock and, you know, and saw that, uh, so, yeah. So there are opportunities. Is that okay? Mm. Okay, shall we move on? Okay. Text seven. Lord Kapila, the personality of God, had replied, O noble lady, there are multifarious paths of devotional service in terms of the different qualities of the executor. That's us. So where we're coming from. Devotional service executed by a person who is envious, proud, violent, and angry, and who is a separatist, is considered to be in the mode of darkness. <coughs> and so, so this is interesting, isn't it? This is, that's why I, I wrote in the email that we may go over this a little slowly. So in other words, you can be a devotee, or you understand that Krishna is the Supreme Lord and the goal of our life, and at the same time, be struggling with envy, pride, venge, being revengeful, and anger. That word separatist is especially interesting. Yes, and we're going to get to that in the next verse, the one after that. One who so Prabhupada writes, one who approaches the Supreme Lord to render devotional service, but who is proud of his personality, envious of others, or vengeful, is in the mode of anger. He didn't even say the mode of ignorance, the mode of anger. <laughs> he thinks that he is the best devotee. Raise your hand if you think you're the best devotee. <laughs> Devotional service executed in this way is not pure. It is mixed and is of the lowest grade. Tamasa. Okay. So I, I um, thought about this a little bit. And I did a little... Uh, so this is actually from a Christian uh, website, but... Um, I thought it was great. They write, who is envy? What, envy? what does envy do? How do we define envy? Something like this. Envy makes you feel resentment or anger or sadness because another person has something or another person is something that you want for yourself. Envy makes you aware that another person has some advantage, some good thing that you want for yourself. And while he's at it, he makes you want that other he he makes you want that other person's not have it. So not only do you want it, but you don't want them to have it. This means that there are at least three evil components to envy. It's all very Krishna conscious. Uh, the deep discontent that comes when you see that another person has what you want. The desire to have it for yourself and the desire for it to be taken away from him. Right. <laughs> it's crucial to understand that envy flows out of pride. <clears throat> One person said, it's my wretched experience that pride has always been envy's father. Pride says, this is what I deserve, or let me boast about all I have 
or I am better than you in all of these ways. Have you ever thought about the fact that pride always compares? <laughs> and then he quotes the great author C.S. Lewis, who is a brilliant uh, Christian commentator. And uh, his one book, uh, the, the Screw Tape? Screw Tape. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. I know Jayadvaita Swami has written a whole commentary on it. It's so well done. And it's so, he, epit he, he epitomizes the a devil as we would epitomize uh, Maya. Such a good way. Yeah. So anyway, he writes, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer, cleverer, or better looking than others. When you are proud, you compare yourself with another person, and there are only two possible outcomes. If you believe you come out on top, you feel even more pride. If you believe you come out on the bottom, you feel envy. <laughs> envy comes when pride is wounded. And just one more point. Envy does something very strange and ugly. When I look at your success, or your money, or your joy, that good, things, that good thing makes me feel bad. You ever have that a little bit in your heart, even though you're not supposed to? Right? You see something, someone does something better, or even they get your, your Guru Maharaj's attention more than you, and, and instead of feeling happy for them, it's a little bit like, ah, right? that's envy. It somehow calls me into question, it taunts me, it makes me doubt myself, or even makes me doubt God. When I see your success, it makes me think less of myself. It calls into question all that I am, all that I've done, all that I've accomplished, all that I've worked for. It becomes an issue of my own identity. Your success screams that I have failed. So we want to uh, avoid this consciousness. So don't be surprised if it enters your consciousness. That don't, like, what else is new? <laughs> That's what we should, when we see that, we go, oh my God, oh my God, I'm so envious, I'm so jealous, I have so much envy. And just like, kyakure. I mean, it's, it's, we're conditioned souls. That's why we're in the material world. If we were in the spiritual world, you know, we wouldn't have that problem. So don't be surprised when it's there. Just um, let that thought just leave as quickly as it came. Don't meditate on it. You meditate on something, then it, then it develops more. But if you just say, oh, there's, there's that envy again. Horrible. And, then you, and, and actually the way to overcome pride and envy is, you know, this sounds so cliche, but take shelter of Krishna. When we remember Krishna, when we remember the philosophy, when we remember somebody has their karma and I have my karma, Right? And if somebody is more advanced than me, remember, we can think, I find this to be helpful. If someone, let's say someone even, say someone even comes to Krishna consciousness. I've been practicing this for 40 years, 40 plus years, and someone is new to Krishna consciousness, and they seem like they're taking off, taking off more than I have. Right? So I should be thinking, they went through the same struggles I went through, just, and they passed that exam. Maybe it was a previous life or 10 lifetimes before. 
Um, so if you see someone who's very, very advanced and, and, you, and the mind starts getting a little envious or jealous, just think they had the same struggles I have, but they, you know, they've been there and done that, right? So remembering Krishna, remembering karma, it's my karma to have as much good looks, as much wealth, as much quote-unquote success, and for that person to have their looks, their success, their money, their Lexus, whatever it is. Right? And, you say, you know, and then you see the whole world ultimately is being governed ultimately by Krishna, but also by people's karma and their consciousness and their endeavors. And then we, we don't get into this whole comparison thing. It's a really big deal comparison. And I think I mentioned this. I, I found it especially, uh, <laughs> I, think, I, think it's, I think it's everywhere in the world. It just manifests itself differently in different cultures. And I, because I was, when I was working on the Supreme Court in India, I would deal with well-to-do people and people who were kind of well-placed in society. And I just, you know, it was so much comparison. It was so kind of blatant, <laughs> you know. Well, my son is in, at, in America going to uh, Columbia University, Ivy League. Uh, I'm very happy for you, but my son's at Harvard, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know. And, and it, because it was so, uh, in America we do it totally. We just do it in a little different way. You know, there it was like so clear, you know. Um, or, or as uh, uh, I mentioned this before in this class, but I'll just, because it's funny, I'll mention it again. And this is, by the way, I, may, it, I can make fun of... Um, Americans and Indians, because I lived in India 21 years, so I consider myself Indian. You're, right? Isn't the rule you're allowed to make fun of your own? So, <laughs> right? Is that a rule? Yes. Uh, right? Even like, you know, no one in the world in America can say the N-word unless if you're black, you, get a, you can get away with it, right, so to speak. Um, so <laughs> the one devotee who's a builder here, right? And anyway, we'll make a long story short. Um, the, the, there was a number of plots that were empty uh, and somebody built a big house and they were concerned, they went to the builder and said, um, um, aren't, I'm a little concerned that people may build smaller houses and then the, my, my, the value of my house will go down. Right? And this devotee, who's also uh, born in India, said, don't worry, um, all the other plots are owned by Indians and they're all going to want to outdo you. <laughs> He said they're all Punjabis, so they're all going to run out to you. So, you know, we're just, this is just, a, you know, to take it as a joke, but it's just, a, this is the material consciousness all around the place, not just India, Chinese, African, uh, Malaysian, whatever. It's just, it's just this, uh, this principle of, uh, or, or when Srila Prabhupada was in Japan at the Dainapan um, print, printers, right? And each person, had, uh, when they introduced him, they give him their card, and there was a, you know, probably like 10 people around the table. And so the big executives left, and the, young, the youngest man was there. And so Prabhupada turned to him and wanted to kind of preach to him, and he said, what is the goal of your life? And the man went through the stack of cards, and found his card and put it on top. <laughs> he said, that's, that's the goal of my life. <laughs> But, you know, we don't want to do that because, you know, that's, I've also said this before, but it's just, again, such a nice example that we don't want to climb up the ladder of success and then at the end of our life think it was leaning against the wrong wall. Right? 
Right? You work so hard to get this and that. And then when then we become philosophical in our old age and it'd be so like, ah, kyakare. Right? That doesn't mean we don't make some endeavors and all that sort of stuff, but we keep things in perspective. And this is a really good perspective. So if we so if envy, jealousy, pride enter our heart, just you know, there's an old song, just walk on by, just let you know, let it come in and let it go. And just laugh, you know, laugh at it a little bit and say, that's not me. Don't ride that wave and really let it enter deep into our consciousness and become more and more attached to that idea. Exactly, Doctor. The yes. neighbor's success should kind of move us forward so we can do a little better ourselves. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's exactly what, what you just said is exactly what Srila Prabhupada said. He said the devotees, he said uh, the gopis would be envious of each other. And they would say, oh, this gopi is pleasing Krishna so much. Let me try to please Krishna as much as she's doing. Right? And the other thing we can do is if we see someone who really is pleasing Krishna, we can be, serve them. The opposite of envying someone is to serve them. Right? So serve another devotee who's being uh, successful in Krishna consciousness. And as, as our doctor has said, to use it as an impetus for ourselves. Yeah. It's like the opposite of envy. Yes, Gurdas? So we can feel that, that great disparity that you were mentioning was one of the qualities of envy but but then desire within our hearts to you know we, that person is serving krishna so nicely we can um, let me endeavor to serve like that or serve yeah. in a better way um i'm sure i'm not remembering this correctly but i think Prabhupada told the story once of and i think you've probably mentioned this in your classes um, of how uh, a man heard that another man had been made Supreme Court judge and uh, at first he didn't believe it and then, oh yes, yes it's true, you can, you can find out and then the man said, he must not be getting salary. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, something like that, yes. <laughs> Some thoughts on envy, jealousy, pride? And we see that it's, it's corrupting the world and especially the youth. They say so many, you know, especially with, um, of all the different social medias, Instagram, right? But, uh, but also Facebook, you know. In other words, you're, 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 you're experiencing life and you're, you're taking, you know, pictures of all the really good food that you're eating or something or the, or, you know, the smiles, you know, you're in some cool place. And a lot of it is just to kind of like, be, or at least the end result is the pe people who see it be, feel bad. Right? That, well, everyone, it seems like everyone's having a good time except me. <laughs> right? And, and it causes a lot of uh, cause for depression and, and things. In, in very and they say the worst one, I guess, is Instagram, which is very, what, photo-based? Is it? Right? And people are just, you know, going around, for, you know, and of course they don't photo, like, you know, all the bad stuff. They, generally, it's good stuff. So, so it impacts us on the very mundane level and on the spiritual level as well. So the opposite is uh, tushti, 
What does tushti mean in Sanskrit? Satisfaction. Satisfaction, yeah. Right? To be satisfied with what you have. By the grace of God. And then for all that extra time, instead of being envious or over-endeavoring, we use it to satisfy Krishna. So tushti is a very... But we're, in, we're, we're surrounded by a culture that doesn't uh, value tushti very much. I mean, they make it lift service to it, but really it's more about, um, what is it? He who dies with the most toys wins. Right? <laughs> right? That's a kind of culture. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to think, oh, I, I worked so hard for this or that and that. What do I have to show for it? But one who endeavors for Krishna consciousness never has that lamentation. Right? No one on their death, most people at the deathbed don't say, oh gosh, I had, wish I had spent more time at the office. <laughs> right? Uh, but many people die thinking, I wish I had spent more time with loved ones, or, or a devotee may think, I wish I had spent more time chanting Hare Krishna or serving the devotees. Like that. And therefore, a very advanced devotee is uh, avyakta kalatvam, that uh, uses all of their time very wisely in Krishna's service. Um, but we sometimes don't do that. That goes back to the time factor. We don't do that because we think, ah, you know, it's all good. I got a lot of time. I got a long life to live. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Should we carry on? Unless you want to talk more about envy. So, text number nine, and um, the worship of the deities in the temple by a separatist with a motive for material enjoyment, fame, and opulence <clears throat> is devotion in the mode of passion. So, we heard about ignorance, now we have bhakti in the mode of passion. In the purport at the beginning, the word separatist, in quotes, must be understood carefully. The Sanskrit word in, uh, words in this connection are bhinna drik and pritak bhava. So we know that word pinna, right, from the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Pinna prakritir ashtada, right, bumir apo malo vayu kamana budhirevacha ahankara iti yame binna prakritir ashtada. So these, Krishna is saying that these earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego, these are my binna prakritir, my separated material energy. So here we hear the word binna drik. A separatist is one who sees his interest as separate from that of the Supreme Lord. Mixed devotees, or devotees in the modes of passion and ignorance, think that the interest of the Supreme Lord is supplying the orders of the devotee. <laughs> Krishna's interest is to satisfy my interests. The interest of such devotees is to draw from the Lord as much as possible for their sense gratification. This is the separatist mentality. So, I, two, so two things I think about here. So we have, as Prabhupada is saying in this purport, you know, Krishna has his interests, and our interests are different than his. What is Krishna's interest? That we become his servants, that we reconnect in a loving relationship with him. Yes, that's his main interest. And of course, he has his interest uh, to, uh, yeah, to reciprocate love with his devotees, to be in Vrindavan, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And we have our program. Right. Give me a house by the sea, Swami Jai Jagadish Hari. Right. Right. Um, as I was seeing in California, you probably wouldn't want one because the taxes are so high, but that's another thing. <laughs> Give me a house by the sea and the taxes paid for. Um, and also, I, th I think separatists can also be seen as just when we look around the world, we don't see it as Krishna's. We don't make that connection. We separate what we see with our five senses, our mind and intelligence. And we don't make the Krishna Sambandha. We don't make the connection with Krishna. Right? We go about our day and doing stuff that we do. But we don't, we don't, we're not remembering that Krishna is in everyone's heart that we deal with. And Krishna created earth, water, fire. The air that I breathe is only because of Krishna. If I didn't have that, you know, remember we talked last week about being grateful. Um, waking up in the morning, right, and saying the names of the deities and then thinking about something that we're grateful for. One of the simple things we can be grateful for is air that we breathe. Because Krishna says, earth, water, fire, air, ether. This is his separated material energy. So, so separatists in terms of Krishna's desire, our desire, and also separatists in general that we just don't see the world as connected. We don't make that Krishna sambandha. We don't see the world as connected. And both of those things should be changed. And the funny thing about it is the less we think about our own gratification, the less we think about our own desires, the more we think about what pleases Krishna, we become pleased. It's like this, uh, it's, uh, what is that word? When something is like the opposite than what you think it's going to be. It's counterintuitive on a certain level. But Krishna can really satisfy, because we all know we're all in this room for a reason. We, we know what that satisfaction of the heart feels like when you feel connected with Krishna. And so that's available 24-7, uh, depending on our... So we're probably somewhere in the middle, right? There's, there's the devotee over on this end who's just like totally separatist and is always angry and always envious and all that. And then there's, you know, just totally focused on Krishna's pleasure with no other desires. And we're somewhere along that spectrum. So if we're like at a four, we don't really necessarily want to say, okay, I'm going to become a 10 by next week. But we might say, well, how can I become a 4.5? How can I become a five? What, what's the next step in my spiritual journey to become less of a separatist and more of a bhakta? Some thoughts on this? Yes, Mahamantrabhu. Uh, probably like I was just thinking about how Krishna treats uh, Gopakumara. Uh-huh. He doesn't... Gopakumara, for those who don't know, is uh, the main character in the second half of the Brihat Bhagavatam. Bhagavatam. Second half, first half? Second half. Um, he, he behaves as if, as an ordinary person, like waiting for his person. love and uh, so, not thinking, oh, you're my servant, now you have come here, kind of thing. That's so captivating, actually. Mm. So you're just impressed the fact that Krishna has so much affection for him, even though he seems like an ordinary... Is that your point? My point is, though he is Supreme Personality, and our constitutional position is to serve him, mm. um, his dealings with the devotees is 
you know, when you become pure, it's totally different, mm. like in the, it's not in that consciousness. It's good to keep in mind that as much as we look in the mirror and we see, my God, how am I ever going to become an advanced devotee? <laughs> the reality is that that's who we are. We are as bright as the sun in that sense of being a pure, pure ecstatic lover of Krishna. And we just, so that's actually who we are. So right now we're in the unnatural state. So that, that should be encouraging, that that's actually our, I think we used the word last week, Janmakar. Did we talk about Janmakar? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's our birthright. Yeah. Okay, then let's move on. We still have some time. When a devotee worships the Supreme Personality of God and offers the results of his activities in order to free himself from the inebrities of fruit of activities. Can someone uh, look up the word inebriety in the definition? His devotion is in the mode of goodness. Uh, so I thought this sentence was really interesting. I think we probably had this experience that uh, there is hearing in the mode of passion, in the mode of ignorance, and in the mode of goodness. Similarly, there is chanting in the mode of ignorance, the mode of passion, and goodness. Anyone ever experience chanting in the mode of ignorance? What happens? Sleep. Yeah, you ever done? We used to call it dive bomb chopper, right? <laughs> and what's chanting in the mode of passion? Planning, yeah, so much planning, yeah. Or uh, sometimes they used to call it radar japa, where you're walking around and reading things and you know, looking at the, you know, the, the bulletin, bulletin boards in temples used to be the big distraction. When is the Hari Nam you know, right? And then, uh, jump in the mode of goodness. I guess it's when you're kind of like feeling satisfied and you're a little, you know, you're a little focused, but you're not necessarily fully devotional. Yeah. And then similarly hearing, we've talked about this, right? You, you can fall asleep when you're reading or you can read pages and don't remember a thing. And that's more in the mode of passion because the mind was elsewhere. And although there's some benefit in that, we're not real, reaping the real fruit of the holy name or of uh, Japa. Actually, I just was corresponding with um, Ramapad Maharaj, and he sent me this quote from the Harinam Chintamani. Actually, the holy name never comes from the mouth of the Mayavadis, for although the syllables may be heard, the holy name, with all its transcendental potency, does not reside there. So the... Um, so this is an important point. The, the holy name or the Bhagavatam are never contaminated, right? They're as brilliant as the sun. Even the Bhagavatam says that, literally. This Bhagavatam is as brilliant as the sun. But, we, but you know, the sun can be covered by clouds. That doesn't cover the sun. It only covers us, right? And we all know that, you know, go in an airplane and go through the clouds. Or, you know, there's so many other examples, right? Um, even a cell, you know, let's use a modern example, cell phone tower, if you're near the cell phone, it's totally good risk to get five bars, right? But if you're in a, you know, a lead-contained room or something, you know, if, so whose fault is that? Is the cell phone tower's fault? Or is it our fault for being in a, you know, in a basement someplace where you get very little receptivity, right? The, the, the cell phone tower is always sending out the same strong signal, but it's our receptivity that changes. Right? 
Or uh, here's another example Srila Prabhupada gives. If a man is potent and healthy and other conditions are right, then there will be conception. In the same way, if a willing and sincere student hears from the authorized speaker in disciplic succession, he will be injected with devotion to God. The quality has to be genuine on both sides. The hearer must be sincere and the speaker must be spiritually potent. Right? So when we hear the Bhagavatam, when we're chanting the uh, holy name, um, we should endeavor to, uh, to be fixed in our consciousness and to be devotional. It won't, you know, won't be perfect, but ananyas chintayantamam yejana payupasate tesham nitya vijuktanam yoga sheva mahamiyam. So Krishna will preserve what we have, he'll carry what we lack if we uh, approach him with, with devotion. So is this clear? It doesn't, the name doesn't get contaminated, or the uh, Bhagavatam doesn't, but our, our receptivity, or the other, right, just like right now in this room, there's dozens of radio waves going through, but we don't see them, we don't perceive them. But if you have the right instrument, a radio, you turn it on, and then all of a sudden that becomes manifest. So Krishna's name, Nama Chintamani Krishna's Chaitanya Rasa Vigraha, Purna Shudo Nitya Mukto Vinatvam Nama Nami The name is uh, non-different from Krishna, but we have to be tuned in. Tigay? Anything on this? Okay, then let us continue. We have a few more minutes. So text 11 and 12. The manifestation of unadulterated devotional service is, so now we've gone from tamasa bhakti, uh, rajarsik bhakti, sattvic bhakti, and now unalloyed devotion. Thank you for coming. Um, the manifestation of unadulterated. Oh, did you have that? Did someone look up the word inebriety? Drunkenness or intoxication. Transcendental intoxication? No. Oh, it's right there. What's a better one? Temporary. Temporary? Well, yeah, I guess drunkenness is temporary. Right. So it is. Fruitive activities are intoxicating. And, and, and for most people, in the, it goes again to that conscious incompetent thing. For most people, it's just all they know. They don't know there's something other than fruitive activities. But I think the temporary part is very important because it always wears off. Yes. You know, you're all happy. And then, also, right? Unless you keep drinking. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean... Prabhupada just kind of injected that into the translation. It's not to highlight why you need to get away from fruit, fruit of activities. Because it's separate. Yeah, it yeah. just wears off. Even you have your little fun, you know, enjoying it, and then the next day you feel bad again. And Krishna says that, Yehi sangsparsaja boga dukkha yonaya evite adi antavata. So adi antava means that, that fruit of activities have an adi, a beginning, and an anta, an end, just like Adi Lila, Anjalila in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Adi Antavata, and then Nateshu Ramate Buddha, that a person who has some brain substance doesn't delight in them. 
But for most people in this world, uh, they just don't know anything else. Right? For many people. So, the manifestation of unadulterated devotional service is exhibited when one's mind is at once attracted to hearing the transcendental name and qualities of the Supreme Personality of God, who is residing in everyone's heart. Just as the water of the Ganges flows naturally down towards the ocean, such devotional ecstasy, uninterrupted by any material condition, flows towards the Supreme Lord. Anyone ever, how many of you have been to the Ganga, to the Ganges? Can you stop it? <laughs> it's so powerful, especially in certain places. Uh, uh, yeah, like in Hardwar, you have to hold on to the chains, right? So you don't go right? It's a very, very powerful river. Prabhupada was so disappointed when he went to London for the first time and he had heard all these songs going up in the British Raj about the mighty Thames. And he said, <laughs> it's like so small, <laughs> gentle river compared to the Ganga, you know? <laughs> especially up north in the Ganga. <laughs> um, so, so let's discuss, last thing we're going to discuss today, but it's a very important point. We touched upon it earlier in the class. Here it says, uh, the word ahaituki means without reason. A pure devotee does not render loving service to the personality of Godhead for any cause or for any benefit, material or spiritual. This is the first symptom of unalloyed devotion. And then a little bit later, uh, the word is avyavahita, means without cessation. A pure devotee must engage in the service of the Lord 24 hours a day without cessation. His life is so molded that at every minute and every second, he engages in some sort of devotional service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So, um, so the first thing is that devotee, I mean, a simple, on a simple level, um, the devotee doesn't make any excuses. They don't blame anything else. They just try to perform. There was this quote from Benjamin Franklin. He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Um, and this word, ahaituki, I think we quoted it earlier. Uh, it comes from this. Uh, I mean, it doesn't come from this, but it's especially important in chapter, Canto 1, chapter 2, verse number 6. Yato savai pongsang. We quoted that before. The supreme occupation for all humanity is that by which men can attain to loving devotional service of the transcendent Lord. Such devotional service must be unmotivated and uninterrupted in order to fully satisfy the self. So uh, what came to my mind here is the uh, idea of, well, Let's see, let me read this one. There is, this is also from the Bhagavatam. There is no mechanical process to see the form of the Lord. Confirmed. It is completely depends on the causeless mercy of the Lord. We cannot demand the Lord to be present before our vision. 
just as we cannot demand the sun to rise whenever we like. The sun rises out of its own accord, so also the Lord is pleased to be present out of his causeless mercy. One should simply await the opportune moment and go on discharging his prescribed duty in devotional service of the Lord. Narada Muni thought that the Lord could be seen again by the same mechanical process which was successful in his first attempt, but in spite of his utmost endeavor, he could not make the second attempt successful. The Lord is completely independent of all obligations. He can simply be bound up by the tie of unalloyed devotion. Nor is he visible or perceivable by our material senses. When he pleases, being satisfied with a sincere attempt of devotional service, depending completely on the mercy of the Lord, he may be seen out of his own accord. So this is, so this idea of causeless has, again, almost like double meaning. So, so we, I think we focused, we said enough about it before, right? We said that it means that we're not doing bhakti to get some result other than God's pleasure. And when we have that pure attitude, that attracts Krishna's causeless mercy. And causeless mercy also, um, it indicates, first of all, there's no material cause to it, right? You know, that, that this was a big deal, one of the reasons, one of the reasons, I'm, I'm simplifying history like crazy here, but one of the reasons for the Protestant uh, Reformation was this idea of, what was the word? Where basically, you, you achieved uh, uh, God consciousness by giving so much money. It wasn't dispensation, it was something else. It wasn't tithing. Yeah, I forget the name, but it had a specific name. I can't remember it right now. So, so of course, we want to encourage people to, hopefully one of you guys will give $5 million today and that will build a new temple. That's, that's, but the point is, you, you know, like the Beatles say, you can't buy me love. You can't um, um, get God consciousness by any material thing. Right? And Krishna's a person. So he has his own sweet will. And he reciprocates with us as he wishes to. Um, the one thing he doesn't have much control over is if we overwhelm him with love and devotion, <laughs> then, you know, what can he do? Right? Like Srimati Radharani does. Um, so, but this is a, it's an important point. Uh, and, and so the example of Narada Muni, so for those who may not be familiar, because we studied it like four years ago, um, Narada Muni got the darshan of the Lord by uh, going into the forest, following his spiritual master's order. It was saying, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudeva, right? Or was that Druva? It was Narada, right? It was Druva? Anyway, he got, Krishna appeared to him in the forest, right? And um, as he sat down and meditated. Um, and so Krishna left. Then he thought, okay, well, it worked last time. And of course, there was an Akashvani, there was a, right? Krishna, you know, Druva, uh, Narada, you will no longer see me in this lifetime. And there was instruction. But the point was that even for someone like him, it's not a mechanical thing. We're dealing with a person. We're dealing with a person. And so we want, but we want to focus on what we can do. Krishna can do what he wants. That's what the gopis said in the last verse of the Shikshaskam. 
Right? That, you know, Christian, you can, you can do what you want. You can handle me roughly by your embrace or leave me brokenhearted by not being present before me. From my side, what I can do, I'm going to offer you, you know, unalloyed devotional service. So we want to just or serve Krishna without any desire except to serve him and, and be absorbed in that as much as we can. And then how Krishna reciprocates with us, if, if we have a new uh, uh, car waiting for us as we go outside or we drive a jalopy or whatever, Krishna can do with us what he wants, but we, have, we know what we have to do. We have our side of the bargain and we know that he's gonna keep his side of the bargain much better than we keep our side of the bargain. Therefore, you know, we he throws, you take one step towards Krishna, he takes a thousand steps towards us. Right, so don't, we don't have to worry about Krishna keeping his side of the bargain. He definitely will. We have to work on our side, what we can con control or what we can endeavor to do. And we can endeavor and really work on just wanting to please Krishna. And one of the easiest ways to please, you know, okay, it's hard sometimes, what is, how can I serve God? And that's why the spiritual master is there. That's why Srila Prabhupada is there. We hear from the spiritual master, you know, do this, do this, follow this instruction, follow that instruction. And if we can follow that, and we follow that instruction, then yasya prasada bhagavat prasada. By pleasing the devotee, we get the mercy of Krishna. So that's uh, one of our big focuses on pleasing and serving the devotees and serving the spiritual master and serving the founder Acharya. Uh, and then we get Krishna's blessings like that. Okay, time is up for this week. And I have to go to 17 inches of snow in South Dakota <laughs> right now. So next week we will uh, continue. And um, we might finish chapter 19. And then I'll send out more verses on email of what we should uh, read. Srila Prabhupada, ki jai.